Professional Football League Week 11, and some trades to take a look at. Let's go to the booth for a review. Welcome to the Challenge Flag Podcast, where we put your fantasy season under review. In this podcast, we will be looking at the Professional Football League and Week 11, but also some of the trades that have taken place up until this point, with only two weeks remaining until the trade deadline. RJ, it's been kind of a slim year for trades in our league of record, our Professional Football League. What do you make of the lack of activity going on to this point in the season with only two weeks left to make these big roster shakeups? It's really interesting. It I feel like our league has always been a little bit more hesitant on the trade front, so it's not quite unusual, but it, it has been lower than normal. And I really do think part of this is that the people in our league are very, very concerned about losing trades. And they don't want to be the, you know, the guy at the bad end of the spectrum. So they're really, really concerned about it. And they'll only make a trade if they know for a fact that it helps them. And they don't want to necessarily gamble on players uh, that they may not have drafted. Like they'd rather draft a guy and let him sink their team than give up on him and go try to get another guy that maybe you're buying low on. Like they, it just seems like there's a little hesitancy to take that risk and, I think what we're going to see this year is that if you do that and you do make deals that have worked out in your benefit, like those are the teams that are are going to have a really good shot at winning the championship. And I'm not going to get into the details yet because I know we'll get there, but I think a trade like that has has already occurred in this league. And so if you're, you know, a competitor, you want to win the championship, you're not kind of looking at the loser's bracket at this point. I think you, you, really need to consider making a deal here to keep pace with some of the teams that are, are blowing up right now. Yeah, it seems like this league is more top-heavy than ever this year with, I'd say, probably four teams that have a real shot to win the championship given their roster construction today. And of those four teams, if all four of them are able to make the playoffs, I'd say there's really only two teams in the league that I would feel comfortable putting my money on with those, of course, being, for at least in my humble opinion, Blake Fuller is one of those teams, which, you know, surprise, surprise. Who could have guessed that, given the previous history that this league has had dealing with Blake Fuller and his incredible karma? And then the other team I've got is Michael Costa's team. I, I know he's in a 5-5 five and five record, but the firepower he has on that team with Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, Josh Allen, Derek Carr, Travis Etienne. I mean, all of these players, if Tony Pollard keeps getting a higher workload, other teams are going to have to make moves if they want to have a chance to, to keep up with that kind of firepower. So I don't know how you feel about where the league's at right now, but that's kind of where I see it going is those two teams have separated themselves. And if, you know, Drew's team or Matt's team or my own team want to compete, it's it's going to take some shakeup. Yeah, for sure. And, and there are some people that have the luxury of a really good record at this point where they don't need to necessarily worry about making it into the playoff, right? 
You're sitting there at seven and three. Blake Fuller's at nine and one. He's pretty much guaranteed to be in the playoffs at this point. He he might be guaranteed at this point. Jordan seven and three, which is really looking good. But then you've got guys with with decent rosters here, like Michael, like Matthew Beicher, who are are sitting here with good rosters at five and five. And it's like, well, they've got to beat out. You know, I just listed off those three teams. You throw Drew Kulos in there as well, who's also 73. That's your your four playoff squads right there. Now, I know we changed the, the seating a little bit. There's an opportunity to sneak in without a good record. But, like, if, if you want to avoid kind of that play-in, like, they've got to make moves now and, and be, you know, kind of just praying that those seven and three teams drop a couple games here so that they can get past the play-in, if you will. And another team I didn't even mention there, and I'm as shocked as I think he probably is here. Um, Chris Risk's team is not not good, in my humble opinion. It, it's just, I'm, I'm sorry, Chris, don't take this personally, but I think this is one of those examples that sometimes you, you have a really good team that just has really bad luck. Chris, I think your team is, is pretty bad and has had really, really good luck because you're also sitting there at five and five. So there's still a time for you to maybe make a deal and, and kind of be in the same position as Matt and Michael where like you are fighting for a playoff spot. It is not out of the realm of possibility that you make it there. So there's something to be done. And what do they always say about the playoffs? All you have to do is make it. If you make it to the playoffs, anything can really happen. If I'm, if I'm Michael and my running back situation without Travis Etienne being in like this week when he's on by, I'm genuinely worried that Chris and Justin Fields are going to take that, that, second spot in my division from me now of course you can get in not being the top player in your division it's the top four teams in the league overall get in and then the team in each respective division that is not part of the top four teams who has the best record within their division that makes the wild card spots now if i'm michael this is a big division week chris has justin fields who will single-handedly carry him to wins the rest of the season i mean it could be this week, it could not, but division play is going on right now. This is the home stretch. If I'm looking at Tony Pollard, who may or may not be in a work share every week, I have Cordero Patterson, who just out of nowhere planted one of the biggest dud performances that I can remember in the back half of this season for a guy that you thought was going to be a very, very solid starter going down the road. And, you know, you're looking at his team saying, if he gets in, he's competing for a championship legitimately. He might not get in. He might be supplanted by Chris. So are you looking to make moves now? Are you not overreacting? Because at this point, you're almost not playing for the rest of the season. You're playing for each individual week, one week at a time, because there, there's only four weeks until the playoffs are decided. So every game really matters. You can also say the same for Matthew Beicher. What's he going to do now? He just lost. Cooper Cup, his best player on the season. That's no small injury to come back from. So is he going to have to make trades to kind of sure up that receiver position? His running back situation is pretty good, I would say. It's at least deep. You know, you have Saquon Barkley, Ramondre Stevenson, Raheem Moster, and Jeff Wilson. And I get two of those guys are on the same team and they're sharing workload. But they're both players that anyone could put into their starting lineup or anyone who might need running backs could put into their starting lineup. So is he going to have to make a move to make sure he gets into the playoffs too? All three of those teams are at five and five. And with the other division, you have three, seven and three teams. 
only one of those five and five teams is projected to make it at this point. So it's going to be really interesting to see with the trade deadline coming up what those three teams in particular end up doing. So we'll take a look at some of the trades that have already occurred to this point in the season. Now, like we mentioned, not very many. There's only three. We'll go through them kind of chronologically. We'll have more of an insight into how those trades have played out already um, and how they'll impact each of these teams moving forward for the rest of the season. So we'll start out with our very first trade on the year, which occurred between Jordan Robbins and Christian Risk. Jordan, of course, giving up Keenan Allen and George Kittle for C.D. Lamb. I pointed out earlier that this was a, a genius move on Jordan's part where he traded away Keenan Allen to Chris when he was playing Chris during Keenan Allen's bye week. You know, excellent move. Since he's traded away George Kittle, I would venture to say George Kittle has been much better than he was while on Jordan's roster. So that's great for Chris, especially because Chris had Darren Waller, who <laughs> has been disappointing when he has played, but mostly hasn't played this season. C.D. Lamb, though, with Dak, best player in this trade so far, especially given the fact that Keenan Allen has only played one game since this trade occurred. If you want to break down a winner and a loser in this one, which, in my humble opinion, I think that both teams really actually ended up benefiting, I would say Jordan is probably the winner of this trade. Having C.D. Lamb is the best player in the deal. Keenan Allen has been a non-factor so far. I think this is the one of the three trades that have occurred where we still have to wait to see it play out to see who really ends up winning in the long run, who ends up losing in the long run. Because if Keenan Allen can come back to Chris's team and help push him over the top against Matt and Michael, then I don't really see a loser in this deal. How do you view this trade? Yeah, this one's super interesting because Chris kind of foregoed points now for points later. And I don't think he was thinking that through when he made the trade, but you know, he's in a position now where like Keenan Allen could help him and it is quite possible. However, there is also an avenue where Chris misses the playoffs and he's in the loser's bracket and Keenan Allen comes back and puts up points for him. So like, that's the risk is like, this may not help Chris at all in the long run. Kittle's been fine. He's had a couple good games, but overall, I mean, he's been in a normal tight end. I would say this year, like, I mean, he, he was obviously pretty rough when he was on Jordan's team. He had like six, four, seven. And I think about when he got traded was after a 16-point game. And then he put up 21, 12, and then three. It's like kind of back to that normal randomness of tight ends where he's had a great game, he's had an average game, and then he had a bad game. And I don't want to say that you could have found that on the waiver wire, but you might have been able to find that on the waiver wire. With that in mind, I feel like, yeah, you got you to gotta give this one to Jordan because he got the best player out of the trade in CeeDee Lamb. He got the immediate production now. He didn't have to have the headache of Keenan Allen on his team. And CeeDee Lamb has been, I mean, like we, we've kind of, we bagged on him early in the season when Cooper Rush, he was putting up good performances, took Dak kind of a while to get him back involved. His first game, he only had 10 points against Chicago, though he had 18 the bye week. And then he exploded for 38 this week against Green Bay. He's number eight in PPR scoring as a wide receiver. So Doran got a wide receiver one by giving up a wide receiver, wide receiver four slash five on the year. I mean, a wide receiver infinite on the year because he hasn't played and a top 15 option at tight end. Kittle's been, he's been fine. But I, I mean, in, in that reality, I think I'd rather have CD in, in this situation. I'd agree with that. I think, you know, Chris has fared 
pretty luckily, as we mentioned before, where he is 5-5. Five and five. So obviously the trade hasn't tanked his season. That's a result of a lot of favorable matchups. But we'll, we'll have to see moving forward and uh, reassess the trade, I guess, once the playoff seating has been decided. The second trade this year also involves our friend Jordan Robbins, uh, but th- his trade partner this time was Michael Costa. In this trade, Jordan received Alan Lazard and $15 in fab, and Michael received Cordero Patterson for some much-needed running back support. This was, of course, while Cordero was still on the IR for another couple of weeks when this trade occurred. This trade's really interesting because on one hand, each team kind of addressed a need that that they really had. But you take a look at both of their rosters now. Alan Lazard is on Jordan's bench. Alan Lazard's not really playing. Cordero was on IR at the time. So really, this was a a non-factor trade for Jordan. You know, it was kind of an IR player for what's now a bench player. Since the trade, Alan Lazard has been uh, serviceable with, I'd say, two good games at the Jets and then at Detroit as well with a 17.6 point outing and an 18.7 point outing. So that's been great for Jordan. If Alan Lazard is in his lineup, you know, it's probably because he's missing receiver production for that week. It's more of a a depth play for Jordan, the way I see it, at least. Michael, this was a much more pressing trade on Michael's end because Michael really needed running back depth. His current running back situation is Tony Pollard, Cordero Patterson, Ezekiel Elliott, and Travis Etienne. At the time of the trade, it was Zeke and Travis Etienne, and it was before James Robinson got traded away from Jacksonville. So two timeshare backs, and Cordero was still on IR. It was... Definitely a long-term play. Michael, of course, still has J.K. Dobbins on IR, which could help his running back situation, but I'm under the impression, really, that this is a lost year for J.K. I don't see J.K. coming back and really having a major impact for Michael down the home stretch of the season or in the playoffs. Cordero, for one week coming back, his first week off of IR, I mean, this looked like a genius move for Michael. Cordero had 18.3 fantasy points, In that game back, he had 13 attempts for 44 yards, two touchdowns. Didn't really super get involved in the receiving game, but, you know, if you had asked me six days ago who won the trade, it would be a very easy Michael for me. But now that Cordero Patterson put up a stinker of a game in his second game back where he was very, very underutilized with only five carries, I would say Jordan might actually end up being the winner of the trade again it's too early to tell. Arthur Smith is a psychopath, in my opinion. So what's your opinion? Where would you go as far as winners, losers? Do you think both teams benefited? Or do you think maybe Michael kind of got tricked by Arthur Smith the first week back? Yeah, I tend to agree with what you said there, Blake, where if you would have asked me at the time of the trade, a week after the trade, after Cordell's big week, it was looking like it was pretty obviously a win for Michael. I mean, he got a good running back who has produced really well, and that was looking really good for him. But I think I am just baffled by what happened last week. I understand that Patterson was coming off an injury in week nine. He was playing the Chargers. He got a pretty low snap share, but a reasonable one, 39%. And 
scored two touchdowns, and it was like, okay, well, you know, that's just easing him back into the fold. And then he took a step back. He actually recorded a lower snap share the next week against Carolina, 38%. Like you said, only touched the ball five times. And the other running backs in that offense, Caleb Huntley and Tyler Allegier, either out-touched him or had the same amount of rushing attempts as him. And that is just a really big red flag for me because there was a period of time where Atlanta was looking like they could win the NFC South. It was it was like they were leading the division with a bad record because that division was terrible. And what we've seen in recent weeks is Atlanta's lost two straight. The Bucks look like they're still bad, but look like they're ready to win that division. And I think Atlanta's reaching a point where it's like, well, are we playing to win go to the playoffs and, and probably lose, or are we playing for a good pick to help rebuild? And I, I think they're going to steer into the rebuild. I think they're going to keep giving these young backs opportunities. And I think Patterson's value and snap share and touches are going to keep going downhill. And that does concern me. I think at this point, I would rather take the the consistency of Lazard, who who hasn't put up monster performances, but has given you like really respectable flex numbers. I'd rather have him the in the 15 fab dollars than Patterson and and trying to play mind games with Arthur Smith to try to figure out what's going on there. Yeah, two questions for you. Number one, who's Avery Williams? I could not tell you. <laughs> Avery Williams is one of the three other running backs in Atlanta who took touches away from Cordero Patterson this week. That's scary if you're starting Cordero Patterson in your lineup. The second question I have for you is would you trust putting Cordero Patterson in your RB2 spot for the rest of the season moving forward? So I'm, I'm in this situation where I actually own Patterson in another one of my leagues, and he is my RB3 because I've got McCaffrey and Kamara as my RB1 and 2, and I, I picked up David Montgomery. So I am rolling with Montgomery over Patterson rest of season until I see Arthur Smith commit to that. So I think that doesn't directly answer your question, but I'm not willing to put him in my RB3 spot. So I think you can assume the rest. Yeah. While the Patterson deal is still very scary, we don't know how it's going to pan out the rest of the season. I do want to commend Michael on the fact that this is the exact kind of trade that you have to make if you need to swing big and, and want to compete. Because at the time of the trade, it was a low stakes trade. He didn't have to give up very much, but he was taking a massive gamble on the fact that Cordero Patterson was going to come back and produce for him. This is how he addressed one of his major problems, which was his running back depth. Still currently a problem for Michael, but after that week where Cordero Patterson came back, put up 18 fantasy points, it looked like Michael had just made the move of the season, and he already has the best receiver duo in the league. He probably has the best quarterback superflex duo in the league, and if he had Travis Etienne, who is a top five running back now, and Cordero Patterson, who looked like he was going to be a top 15, top 10 running back, I, I don't think anyone would have beat Michael at all the rest of the season. Unfortunately, it's looking like, you know, that's not going to end up being the case with Cordero, and Michael's going to have to figure out an alternative for the running back position. But, you know, that was almost a trade that at the time didn't look like much to everyone else. But it almost ended the league for everyone else, you know. The season you could have called it pretty much this last week if if Cordero ended up being the guy that we thought he was going to be. So what what do you think about the trade strategy for Michael there? Yeah, it 
it's what you have to do. I mean, he he knew what his weakness was. Lazard was not a guy that was routinely making it into his lineup. He he was blessed with you know great drafting knowledge, and and he took Diggs, he took Devonte Adams, he ended up with Juju Smith Schuster. So like right there, like Lazard's your fourth, and he's depth that you can go and gamble with for sure. And I know I had had discussions with Michael about a potential deal acquiring a running back, so he knew what he needed. And he's been fortunate enough with the Zeke injury where Pollard has been really anchoring that spot for him. If for whatever reason they shut Zeke down, like Michael's set. So things have, you know, this trade maybe hasn't worked out, but things do not, like he did not sacrifice enough where like his team is now in a hole because of it. He took a good gamble that could still pay off. And he's in, I would say like a a decent spot because of it. Because Patterson isn't worthless Patterson is a relevant player in fantasy football I'm sure this is his floor not his ceiling going forward he's going to get more than five touches but is he going to be fantasy startable we don't know yet there's there's an avenue for it though the final trade that has occurred so far this season is actually between the two of us which there might be some bias in the conversation there might not I'd like to think that we can both look at this pretty objectively But this was actually, in terms of volume, the largest trade that's occurred. In terms of names, it's still probably the largest trade that's occurred this year. In this trade, my team received Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, and George Pickens. And your team acquired Aaron Jones, Gabe Davis, Brian Robinson Jr., and $12 in FAB. So, of course, this trade's still pretty fresh. Taking a look at it, you needed receiver help. I didn't really need anything at the time of the trade. It was more just I saw an opportunity to pick up a little bit of value at my running back two, mostly my running back three spot. With the trade being two weeks gone, how are you feeling about your side of the deal versus my side? Do you have any regrets with it? Are you pretty happy with your return? And what was going through your mind when you were making the trade? Because you actually reached out to me about doing this deal. Yeah, so I'll start there. Clearly, my team is not what I was hoping it would be this season. I'm one and nine. I've definitely had some unlucky things contribute to that, but I'm also not not a top tier team. I understand that. You know, like this past week, my my score was good enough to beat seven out of ten teams in the league, but that's just not how it worked out. So it is what it is. I'm I was just looking for some way to jazz up the roster, right? You know, when you have a combination of people after eight nine weeks together and you're not getting any wins out of it like you got to do something that hopefully does it for you and so that was my thought process I also had just lost Mike Williams to injury didn't really love the depth I had behind him so I I really wanted to acquire another receiver that was startable because the guys that were there George Pickens being one of them um, I, I did have Rondell Moore who has turned out to be pretty good since then but didn't know that at the time um and, and a couple other guys that that I just didn't, or Jerry Judy was one who, who, every time I put him in the lineup, he gets hurt. So maybe I should stop doing that. But I just needed something. I needed someone. And that was the real driving factor. And I was desperate. I was willing to make moves in other places. And that's really why this deal got done was that Blake was trying to, to stop me from going and helping another competitor. So uh, we won't go into too much detail there. But 
you know, it, it was a deal that at this point I think has probably benefited you more than me. I, I look at this as a, in the view of, well, if I would have kept my, my players, I mean, I would have had Joe Mixon's 55 point performance and won that week. So that right there is like, well, I lost, I, I like picked up an extra loss by making this deal. Gabe Davis has been inconsistent. He looked better last week. Brian Robinson looked better last week. The, f- the first two weeks of this deal, let me back up. I would say after week one, you were probably a little bit more frustrated with it because Mixon had like 12 points and Aaron Jones did Aaron Jones things and was like 19-ish. And was you know at that point, you're like, man, I, got the, I didn't get the best player out of this deal. And then the next week, Mixon goes off for 55. Miles Sanders keeps putting up respectable RB2 numbers. George Pickens is still getting involved. And I think at that point, you were probably feeling a little bit better about that decision. Obviously, then Mixon went on by. Jones had another good week. So it's an interesting one because I think the the background players have been kind of up and down between like Sanders having two good weeks, one bad week, Gabe Davis having two bad weeks, one really good week. Aaron Jones has been like, he did good, bad, good. Mixon was decent, great. It's just kind of like the inconsistency is really still there. But I think at the end of the day, it's like, well, if I would have stood pat, what would have happened? And I I would have had an extra one on my, on my record. So in that sense, I think I took the L. Yeah, and I know for for my team, at least, looking back on this trade, well, it's like you mentioned, I didn't really need anything out of this trade. I was looking to pick up value, and I was looking to prevent a catastrophic trade from occurring elsewhere in the league. So on one hand, I kind of felt like I was not necessarily forced into the trade, but that the biggest benefit I got out of the trade was not allowing a trade to occur elsewhere. In terms of that happening, I feel very good about where the trade is because largely I think that at the very least I broke even. And if not, I think I picked up some value with Joe Mixon and Miles Sanders versus Brian Robinson Jr. and Aaron Jones. Now that being said, it was like immediately after this trade occurred that Aaron Jones started picking up not as split workload, but the lion's share of the workload in Green Bay, which is what people had drafted him hoping that he would see. I mean, everyone knew that there was going to be some touches shared with A.J. Dillon. But since he's picked up the lion's share of the workload, I mean, he just looks great. You know, he looks like a stellar running back, a top 10 running back in the league without a doubt. And I think now that Matt LaFleur's kind of figured it out and sees that A.J. Dillon has lost some juice, Aaron Jones is the best player in that deal, which you ended up taking away. And ironically, I'm now hurting at receiver for my receiver two depth, where I would prefer a Gabe Davis to Michael Pittman Jr., to Cortland Sutton, to George Pickens. And so I have definitely taken a step back in that arena. Now, where I feel like I really picked up the value here was Miles Sanders versus Brian Robinson Jr., And at the time of the trade, I knew that that's kind of where I was going to be picking up that value. As we had discussed, I I felt like Joe Mixon and Aaron Jones, it was largely a lateral move at the running back two spot for me with Austin Eckler being my running back one. But I think Brian Robinson Jr. to Miles Sanders was more than a large enough jump for me to justify going from Gabe Davis and downgrading to George Pickens. And I still feel that way to this day about the trade. So I I think, you know, yes, you took a loss because Joe Mixon wasn't on your roster. But at at the end of the day, I I think we'd both agree you ended up getting the best player in the deal. Because until that 
55 point performance from <laughs> Joe Mixon until that point he he was not the running back that you drafted him to be you know he wasn't a first round pick he wasn't a second round pick and who knows maybe he goes he falls back down to earth after the bye week we'll we'll have to see how that plays out but I think largely I gained value I stopped a bad trade from happening other places and you got the best player in the deal so I I think both sides should feel pretty decent about that trade yeah yeah it's not a bad one and there's still a lot of season to be played. And what I think is really interesting is, to your point, Blake, like even factoring in that, that monster outlier that Mixon has, he's the RB, I think he's the RB7 in PPR, and Jones is the RB8. So they're like, they're still like right there, but one of them had 55 points in a single week, and the other one has been a little bit more consistent. Um, Mixon has kind of been like the upgraded version of Najee Harris this year where he's been consistent, but it's like, it's like consistently like between 12 and 14 compared to Najee's nine and 12, but he, you know, doesn't really have the, the week winning upside outside of that one monster week that we've seen so far this year. Yes. And I, I don't think we can expect that going forward. Cause you know, you talk about how one of them was the RB seven, one was the RB eight. One of them was getting, 95% of the running back touches for their team and the other one was getting 60% of the running back touches for their team in Aaron Jones and now that Aaron Jones uh, rushing share is going from 60% up to 80 plus percent I I think we'll see Aaron Jones run away as you know without a doubt the best player in the deal in terms of your strategy in the trade you mentioned you probably weren't making a trade for for a playoff push so your strategy was a little bit more focused on what exactly was it picking up a higher floor for your team? Was it, you know, hoping that you could get enough points to avoid the last place punishment? Where where was your head at in terms of why you made this trade, and do you think you kind of achieved your goal? So I th- I think back to myself. I actually was I think that we had these discussions probably like three weeks ago, and. I was thinking, I, I didn't do the math, but with the new way we have the rule set, at that point, I was like, well, you know, if I can knock out the rest of my division mates and, and finish with a good division record, then maybe I have a shot at, at getting the play in. And, you know, which is why we wanted to implement something like that, which made those games a little bit more impactful and, and take a guy who had only won one game at the point. I think I, I would have been like one in seven at, or one in six at the time and give me a shot of potentially getting an eight and six. And having a good record and, and being able to to sneak in, but clearly that hasn't worked. I'm I'm one and nine at this point, so in that sense, that hasn't really happened. But um, to answer another question, well, now I'm playing for the consolation bracket. I'm playing to not lose. I'm playing to hopefully win that and get my buy-in back. So having Aaron Jones in in his kind of week winning twenty plus point upside is definitely good for that. And I think long-term could be helpful. I think Gabe Davis is a little bit of a riskier role in those situations. So if you really are interested in, in Gabe, maybe we can work something else out because I wouldn't mind getting a, a higher floor receiver back. But uh, we, we can discuss that offline. That's trade talk. Hopefully we have a little bit more to talk about after week 13 is rolled around. For now, let's go ahead and take a look at where we are in our season and uh, what we have coming up this next week for week 11. Before we do that, we're going to quickly recap week 10. 
and I will go ahead and run through the scores there. So we had Chernobyl Janitors, Matthew Baisher squad with 159.8 over AFC Richmond, my team with 130.72. We had Risky Business Incorporated with 116.12 over Team E.T. Woods with 96.4. We had the Creek Haven Comeback Kids, Blake Fuller's team with 148.9 over Waffle House Bankruptcy, Michael Costa's team with 112.9. We had Robin's Birds with 135.08 over Team Breezeless, which is Raj Landry's squad at 109.10. And finally, we had Team Drew K7 with 123.6 over the Commissioner's Curse, Blake, your team with 105.3. So that is our Week 10 recap. So jumping into Week 11, we will uh, go through each game, and we'll kick it off with RJ, your team, AFC Richmond, against Team Drew K7. That would be Drew Kulas' team. Your team's coming into this matchup 1-9 overall, riding a six-game losing streak. And Drew is coming into this game 7-3 and three overall with a win that he just picked up against myself. I think, just for the record, I think I've now lost three of my last four against Drew. This would be three in a row, sorry. And I want to say I've lost seven of my last eight against him. I know a few years back I had a monster miracle performance against Drew where... Stefan Diggs put up a 40-point game on Monday night, and I eked out a two-point win. And since then, I think I've only beat Drew once. So he seems to have my number. Um, let's take a look at the matchup and see if he's going to have your number this week if he's just the commissioner slayer. We'll go through RJ's players first and then Drew's players second when we're breaking down these matchups. The quarterback matchup is Russell Wilson versus Lamar Jackson. The running backs are Jonathan Taylor and Aaron Jones versus Dalvin Cook and Antonio Gibson. The receiver breakdown is Gabe Davis and Rondale Moore versus DJ Moore and Wandale Robinson. Say that 10 times fast. The flex breakdowns are Gus Edwards and Daniel Jones in the super flex for RJ versus Michael Carter and Allen Robinson in the super flex for Drew. And the defense breakdowns are the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Colts for RJ and the Bills versus the Cleveland Browns for Drew. Some bench options for each team. RJ's team has AJ Dillon, Brian Robinson Jr., Jerry Judy, who may or may not play, and Kadarius Toney on his bench. Also, Mike Williams is currently slotted in his bench. He may return from injury this week. We're still kind of awaiting a final diagnosis on that one. That would be a huge return for RJ. Drew does not have any bench options. I mean, zero. The only active player on his bench is Alex Madison, who is backing up Dalvin Cook currently in Drew's starting lineup, his RB1 slot. So Drew is largely stuck with the roster he has in place. The positives for each team. We'll start with RJ. Again, he has a lot of players that he can plug in, kind of play with. Mike Williams might return. This may be significant to you. This may not be significant to you. But with Keenan Allen's health largely being in question as well, if Mike Williams returns, he has a great matchup against Kansas City, who, because they score so much, their, their defense is on the field a lot. They score very, very quickly. Their defense is 
not really top ranked in any category at all. And against receivers, they're in the bottom third of the league when in terms of fantasy receivers, that is. Mike Williams plays, especially if Keenan Allen doesn't. Justin Herbert clearly, clearly, clearly needs someone he can trust and throw the ball to outside of Austin Eckler. That poor guy is just getting beat up. He is throwing into double coverage super consistently, or he's just holding the ball, taking a sack. Mike Williams will be that guy if he comes back for him. At the very least, he's a big body that Justin Herbert can throw a jump ball up to. Other positives for RJ, Jonathan Taylor and Aaron Jones both look great at this point in the season. I think that Aaron Jones getting a larger share of the running back work, still getting involved in the receiving game. I think that's excellent news for RJ. He's going to be the Aaron Jones that we have known before AJ Dillon was there. He still looks super explosive. And Jonathan Taylor finally looks like the Jonathan Taylor who we expected when you drafted him number three overall, RJ. Jonathan Taylor has a new coach with a new scheme, I guess, where he's actually focused on the running game. Um, He wants to take the ball out of his quarterback's hands, whether that be Matt Ryan or Sam Ellinger, as much as possible, knowing that neither of those guys are really going to go win him a game. And Jonathan Taylor really saw the the benefit of that last game he had a 22 carry game last week which is his highest since his week one performance where he had 31 attempts of course he put up 27 and a half points in that week one game put up 24.3 points this last week i think if you see that carry share continue to stay around the 20 to 25 mark jonathan taylor is going to be a smash play every week the positives for drew man looking at this team I can't believe I'm going to say this, but there are not very many positives to be found here. Um, Of course, you have Dalvin Cook playing against Dallas, who you would think is a really good defense, but they just got exposed by Aaron Jones last week, so that could be great. And then you have Lamar Jackson looking to get back on track against a lackluster Carolina defense. But really, there's more negatives to be had here for Drew's roster than positives. So let's go ahead and jump into those negatives. Starting with RJ's team first, though. It's just kind of tough matchups across the board for his team. Jonathan Taylor is playing against Philadelphia. Aaron Jones is playing against Tennessee, who's a great run defense. Gabe Davis is playing against Cleveland in a snow game that is just, I mean, they're predicting six feet of snow on Sunday. So it doesn't really bode well for Gabe Davis, especially because Gabe is a down-the-field threat. He's kind of a field-stretching receiver. I don't really see many deep balls being thrown his way this week. Rondale Moore against San Francisco, good defense, and TJ Hawkinson against Dallas, who's been excellent against the past this year. Tough matchups, but great players. I think some of these players will be able to overcome their matchups and and provide a good week for RJ. For Drew, concerns. Number one, he doesn't have any depth. He can't mix or match any players on this roster. This is really his bipocalypse this week. My main concern is the wide receiver position where he has DJ Moore and Wandale Robinson. Both of these players have had at least one or two good weeks this season, but for the large part, they've mostly been duds this year. Antonio Gibson is going to be very hit or miss based on what the commanders want to do with Brian Robinson versus Antonio Gibson. So we'll have to see how that plays out. And then Michael Carter and Allen Robinson in the flex positions. I mean, the floor for this team is between those five players combined, Drew could legitimately not even see double digits in production. It kind of just depends. 
The ceiling for this team is for those five players is not very high either. Of course, I don't think he'll see single digits from those players combined, but I, I really don't expect any more than 30 points from all five of those players put together. I think that bodes very well for RJ, so I'm taking RJ in a win this week. Yeah, this one this one's weird. It, it I don't want to pick myself because in past experience, it seems like picking against me is always the way to get a, a nice little bump to your record, right? Out of the, the 10 weeks of the season, if you would have done that 10 times, you would be pretty happy. But yeah, I mean, just lots of concerns over there for Drew. It, and just kind of looking at it head-to-head, most of these matchups, I take. I think I take my side, right? Besides maybe Lamar over Russ, which is obvious. I, I take Taylor and Jones over Cook and Gibson. I think I take Gabe Davis and Rondell Moore over DJ Moore and Wandale. Probably give him Andrews, but like Hawk has been good since he joined the Vikings. Like you just look at target-wise, the most targets he had in a game... Well, maybe that's not a good measure, but his targets went 7, 7, 4, 12 in the game where he had 40 points, 4, 5, 4, and then two games since he got traded, it's been 9 and 10. So, like, if that's the floor he's getting, even against Dallas, like, that one's not as lopsided as it seems. Sure, I mean, Gus Edwards or whoever I put there and Mike Carter's probably a push, but, I mean, I'm taking the Daniel Jones super flex upside over Allen Robinson. We didn't even talk about the fact he's not starting another quarterback. So yeah, it's hard for me to not pick myself in this matchup, which is is worrying, but I, I do think that uh, this one's just tough for Drew, so I'm going to go ahead and, and pick myself on this matchup. But we'll go ahead and move on, and we got through the the early matchups, right? The, the noon games that no one wants to watch. That one's out the window, so now we'll move on to the real, real football teams going at it. And our next matchup, we've got your team, Blake, the Commissioner's Curse versus Robin's Birds, which is Jordan's team, in case you weren't able to put that together. Bad grammar was probably throwing you off. We're going to continue to beat that dead horse until Jordan does something about it. But we'll go through that matchup really, really quick. So we've got at the quarterback position, Jalen Hurts for Blake versus Joe Burrow for Jordan. For running backs, we have Joe Mixon and Damian Pierce against Alvin Kamara and Devin Singletary. Receivers, we've got Cortland Sutton and A.J. Brown against CeeDee Lamb and Justin Jefferson. At the tight end, we've got Tyler Higby and Hayden Hurst. The flex, you're just, you doing this is just flexing, but Austin Eckler sitting there against Josh Palmer. And then we have the super flex of Miles Sanders this week against Kirk Cousins. Defensively, Blake, you just plugged Cincinnati in there. Jordan did pick up the commander's defense against defense or against Houston, which is a good play. Looking at your benches, you've got some options here. You've got Deontay Foreman, who's been balling out lately. Michael Pittman Jr., who has looked a little bit better since Matt Ryan got backed. You've got George Pickens, who's been involved lately, and you just picked up Aaron Rodgers. So you you do have a legitimate quarterback to throw in there if you'd like to. Jordan has Isaiah Pacheco. At a running back option, he's got Adam Thielen, Alan Lazard, the infamous Taysom Hill, and that is it as Leonard Fournette is out on bye. So those are our matchups this week. Let's jump into the positives. So Blake, your running back core is set to anchor your team this week and probably for the rest of the season. Mixon comes off of his historic matchup to go against Pittsburgh in their bottom tier rushing defense, along with Damian Pierce, who continues to produce RB2 numbers on a weekly basis, regardless of matchup. Oh, and and of course, you, you also have Austin Eckler, so we don't even need to talk about him. 
And then your receivers should be pretty strong too this week. Sutton will absolutely be the focal point of the Broncos offense against Las Vegas with Jerry Judy likely out, but at the very least banged up with his ankle injury. And then A.J. Brown should be looking to get back on track this week against Indy and coming off the Eagles' first loss of the season. I really think Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders, I just think that Eagles are going to go crazy this week, and I think it's a good week to, to be heavily invested in that offense. Positives for Jordan. This wide receiver core has really, really come on strong lately. Justin Jefferson is obvious, but C.D. Lamb is coming off a huge performance last week. It's hard not to imagine these guys putting up big games as they take on each other in a great Week 11 matchup. I, I have a feeling you'll, you'll see each one trying to outduel the other guy across the field. So that'll be a fun one to, to keep an eye on. And then Joey Burrow returns from his bye and draws the Steelers, much like I, I mentioned about Joe Mixon. Uh, but remember back to Week 1, Joe Burrow turned the ball over against Pittsburgh five times, but he still put up 18.22 fantasy points. So you do some quick math there about what that might have looked like had he not turned the ball over so often. And Burrow could be rounding into form at the right time to put up a monster performance this week. Now on the negatives, there's still not really a consistent super flex on this team. I know you picked up Aaron Rodgers, who, who gives you at least a floor there, but Rodgers certainly has not been amazing. But that'll routinely limit your upside compared to the teams that are rolling out two really strong QB options. But you do thankfully have some good options to flex into that spot if you want between Michael Pittman Jr., Miles Sanders, Deontay Foreman, etc. You've got a ton of positional depth, which is just great. But it, it just feels like Superflex is the missing piece to making this squad like be over the top, be unbeatable. And then Tyler Higby has been a great surprise this year, but he has been inconsistent as of late. You have to imagine teams will be looking to take him out of the game with Cooper Cup injured and on IR because Stafford and Allen Robbins still just haven't showed us that they have a report. So I feel like the guy you want to key on is, is probably Higby. So I'm a little concerned there. But looking over at Jordan's side, well, not only is Leonard Fournette on bye, but he's also injured. And I can't say I love Jordan's options to replace him this week. Singletary has been inconsistent at best. Khalil Herbert was on this roster, and he is now hurt and on IR. So, big concerns there. And then we talked about your tight end position, so we it feels only fair to talk about Jordan's. And since he traded away George Kittle, he has relied on Taysom Hill and Hayden Hurst to fill Kittle's void. While both are fine, the bust potential is astronomical any given week with those two guys. With that in mind, I, I do think I'm going to go ahead and pick Blake, your squad, for the bounce back, largely due to the fact that I just expect the Eagles to go off this week. Who are you taking? Well, before I give my prediction, I do want to preface this with the fact that Jordan reached out to me at the very beginning of this week, right after the Monday games ended, and asked if we wanted to wager anything on this game. So the initial offer was the loser of our game this week would have to do the blazing wings challenge with the overall league loser i told him i was perfectly fine with that i'd also like to put in a disclaimer i sometimes get the blazing wings just with my normal order every now and then i'm a big fan of spicy foods i let him know that i was an honest man i was very fair and told him that i'm more than willing to do that bet however there may be a little more risk involved for him than myself so what we ended up doing was uh we settled on a water bet for those of you that don't know what a water bet is maybe you don't follow the same people that jordan myself rj that we follow 
a water bet is very, very simple. Um, the loser of the game this week will be dunked in some form of water, water balloon, super soaker, bucket of water. The details are still being, excuse me, are still being worked out on exactly what the water bet will look like. And when we re- come to a resolution, I'll put that out in a very public forum so that the whole league understands exactly what the bet is and uh, when the punishment will be occurring. But just know that I'm confident enough in my team that I would have rolled with really any bet. Um, I'd offered some other ideas that were probably a little bit more dastardly just because I am that confident in my team this week. So I'm, I'm going to pick myself to win. I don't really need to expand much more on that. I don't think Jordan has a real chance, and I look forward to not only beating him, but potentially putting his fantasy season to rest. It would be nice to to knock Jordan's team out of playoff contention. Of course, I can't do that in a single week. I'm going to need a little help from my friends. But with Jordan playing Drew next week, and then hopefully RJ, you can get a win against him the week after, it, it would not be nice to, to put, uh, dare I say, my, my biggest rival's fantasy season to rest. So um, we'll, we'll end there. We'll move to our next matchup. We have Team E.T. Woods. That's Ethan Woods versus uh, Creek Haven Comeback Kids and Blake Fuller. They will be squaring off this week. This is another big rivalry in our league. Um, so it, it's very exciting anytime these two teams play each other. I'm sure that there is a bunch of trash talk going on in the back channels. I'll go through Ethan's team first, followed by Fuller's team second. So at the quarterback position, currently it looks like it's going to be Matthew Stafford versus Patrick Mahomes in the QB position, obviously favoring Blake. You have Christian McCaffrey and David Montgomery for Woods against Derrick Henry and Darrell Henderson for... Fuller, the wide receiver position. Woods has not yet updated his wide receiver position, but it looks like it'll be Brandon Ayuk and Amari Cooper against Debo Samuel and DeAndre Hopkins. The tight end matchup is Greg Dulcich versus Dalton Schultz. The flex matchup is probably pretty likely to end up being Jacoby Myers and Jacoby Brissett at the super flex position against Amon Ross St. Brown and Curtis Samuel at the super flex for Fuller. The defensive matchups right now are the New Orleans Saints defense playing against the Los Angeles Rams in New Orleans versus the Cowboys defense playing at the Minnesota Vikings for Fuller. The bench options for Woods are much deeper than the bench options for Fuller this week. Woods currently has Kenyon Drake, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Kyle Pitts, and potentially David Njoku. I think he's going to have to drop one of those tight ends by the time the week starts. And Fuller only has Matt Ryan and potentially Gerald Everett, depending on his health status, to play this week. Going through the strengths for each team, I think that really in terms of strengths for Woods, it's kind of hard to point to any one area and be like, you know what, I feel comfortable rolling that out this week. You have Christian McCaffrey and David Montgomery, which I guess is an improvement over Fuller's Derrick Henry and Darrell Henderson. David Montgomery should see a larger work share, but that being said, he's still kind of the running back two in that offense with Justin Fields really being the running back one, the quarterback one, who knows, maybe he ends up being the wide receiver one and the tight end one. 
I don't know. The entire Chicago Bears team is just Justin Fields. It'd be nice to see David Montgomery get more involved this week, but I'm not counting on it. The strengths for Fuller's team are much, much greater. You have Patrick Mahomes in the quarterback spot, QB2 on the year, only behind Josh Allen, who, of course, anytime you're comparing your fantasy performances to Josh Allen's fantasy performances, you're in some rarefied air, and it's a good place to be. The wide receiver position is just incredible for Fuller. You have uh, Debo Samuel, DeAndre Hopkins, Amon Ross St. Brown, Curtis Samuel, not to mention Jalen Waddles on bye this week. I mean, how can you not be happy with that wide receiver room? It'd be nice if you shared a couple wide receivers and trades, but seeing as Fuller doesn't really want to engage in any kind of trade negotiations, I, I can honestly say I don't blame him. His team is very stout, and uh, I think that really bodes well for him especially in a matchup against a team who is hurting going into the back half this year. Speaking of hurting, let's go through weaknesses. Woods has some players on by that he could really use. Tom Brady, who hasn't been great, but kind of found his footing last week against Seattle, and DK Metcalf, speaking of Seattle, who is on by this week. Both those teams traveling back from Munich, so of course they'll get the bye. DK Metcalf has been surprisingly consistent, having Geno Smith at quarterback, but Neither of them will be playing this week. Amari Cooper has been inconsistent, and he draws a very tough matchup against Buffalo. Jacoby Brissett against Buffalo. Again, it'll probably end up being a down week for him. I'd say that he could maybe make something happen with his legs. Jacoby Brissett's kind of getting up there in age a little bit. Um, He's 29 years old. I don't really see him, you know, dancing around the field or run through the snow I think he's pretty much going to let Nick Chubb and and Kareem Hunt do the lion's share of the work this week for Fuller some weaknesses you have Darrell Henderson at the running back two position this is just in reserve while Ken Walker is away this is a great matchup to have the week that you don't have Kenneth Walker in your lineup other than that there really are no weaknesses for Fuller I guess he's not starting a quarterback in a super flex spot but Curtis Samuel any week has the potential to go get you 20 points. I guess it kind of depends on who your quarterback is. Since Taylor Heineke has been in there, it's been more of the Terry McLaurin show than Curtis Samuel. But Curtis Samuel has not been left out of this offense by any means, putting up 12 points, 11 points, 17 points, and then most recently a disappointing six-point performance. I think he'll be all right. Based on this matchup, I'm going to take Fuller. I don't really have much more to say on that. I think I've pretty much laid out my reasoning for why Fuller's a better play. His starting lineup's just stronger. He doesn't really need the depth this week. Um, I I think he'll get it done in pretty convincing fashion. Yeah, not too much to add here. This one's hard to not go with Fuller. And the only thing I'm going to emphasize here really is kind of the return of Amon Ross St. Brown. We didn't really talk about that. Obviously, he started out like super, super hot and then he got hurt. And then it, it took him a while to kind of get his footing back after being out. And then I think he got the concussion. And then it was just kind of a couple of weird weeks. But last week, back to 11 targets, 10 receptions, 119 yards, 22 fantasy points. So really think having that level of depth where he is your flex is amazing. And then, I mean, considering D-Hop's been strong and Debo has week winning upside every single week he's out there. Just There's so much to like here. So really, really fond of that and taking Fuller. All right, well, we will keep on rolling into the next matchup. We've got Team Breezeless, Raj's team against Waffle House Bankruptcy, which is 
Costa's team. And this one is a really interesting matchup this week, but we'll go ahead and start by looking at the rosters, okay? We've got the QBs, Kyler Murray, who it hopefully will be back this week for the Cardinals. Who knows? He was a game-time decision last week, so we'll see. And then Josh Allen, who has had his own injury woes. At the running backs, we've got Najee Harris and Josh Jacobs against Tony Pollard and Cordero Patterson. At receiver, you've got Terry McLaurin and Deontay Johnson versus Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams. At tight end, we currently have Zach Ertz versus Dallas Goddard, but that is hopefully going to be updated at some point. Raj doesn't have another option there, so he'll be waiver hunting. And actually, now that I look at it, Michael doesn't either. So both boys better be fighting for the, the best available tight end there because can't possibly evaluate that at this point. At your flex, you've got Nick Chubb versus Juju Smith-Schuster. At the Superflex, we've got Dak Prescott against Chris Olave. Raj has the Tampa Bay defense currently slated there, but they are on bye, so hopefully he will set that lineup. And then Michael has Denver against Las Vegas. On the bench side, Raj has Jared Goff, Melvin Gordon, and Devonta Smith he could possibly turn to. Michael has Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, Ezekiel Elliott, and Tyler Boyd. So a few more options there on Michael's side. We have to, I would think, probably slate a QB in there, but we'll see. But let's look over at the positives for these two squads. Well, if Raj has any hope this week, he'll need his running backs to help him along. Nick Chubb draws a Buffalo matchup, but I'm way past doubting Chubb in in any matchup. The dude just is a freak of nature and he keeps scoring points. And especially considering the environment that they're going to be playing in, like he's probably going to get 30 touches. That would not shock me. And then Josh Jacobs also gets a tough one against Denver, but the last time I tried predicting a poor performance against the Broncos, Josh responded by dropping 34.5 points. So not really a tough matchup for Josh Jacobs. Apparently that's their, that's his choice right there. And lastly, I know Najee is a bust this year, but at least he'll get you a consistent 10 points or so. You you could do a lot worse with a third running back there because realistically, Josh Jacobs is your RB2, not Najee. Najee is your flex. And then Kyler was a game-time decision last week, like I mentioned, but that indicates that he was really close to playing. I expect him back this week, and that'll undoubtedly lift Raj's team along with a really strong super flex of Dak Prescott. Now for Michael... Well, for Raj's strength at running back, Michael matches him right back with wide receiver strength. Obviously, we know how good Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams are. They are matchup-proof and will score their points no matter what. But Michael's squad also holds great rookie Chris Olave and a rising Juju Smith-Schuster. Of course, Juju suffered a concussion last week, but Michael is certainly equipped to survive if he's ruled out this week. He can always slot Olave into that flex spot, start a quarterback instead. Not really sure what direction he's going to go there. And once again... Not going to waste too much time talking about Josh Allen. We know the the dude's in a funk, but he's still putting up fantasy points. Like, he, we don't need to talk about him. But let's look at the other QB options. Derek Carr hasn't been great this year, but he's riding two straight games in the realm of about 18 points or so. And if Michael doesn't want to turn to Carr and he wants to go with Marcus Mariota, he can. And he's surprisingly QB 12 on the season, which is shocking to me, but exactly what you'd want right there for a super flex. Now, jumping into concerns, I I really only have one for Raj. We can talk a a lot about how the matchups might be tough for the running backs, but I think we've we've kind of discussed that, and I think it's still more of a strength just considering the players. But it it was a brutal injury for Zach Ertz this week. He's now out for the year, and that certainly leaves a massive hole in Raj's squad. He'll be waiver shopping 
for a backup tight end. But I don't know. We, there's not a lot there. Surely, though, Raj wouldn't forget to, to set his lineup and, and pick up a new tight end and a new defense there, right? He's never done anything like that before. He He's going to set his lineup, right? Now, on Michael's side, just when it looked like his running back woes were solved, this week pops up with all sorts of questions and concern. ETN is obviously out on bye. Who knows what Atlanta's plans are with Patterson? We've talked about that a little bit today. Will Zeke come back this week? And is that going to send Tony Pollard back into that reserve role where he's not really going to be startable in a fantasy perspective? Overall, the running back position group is really, really scary this week. It's kind of back to where Michael started. Should be clearer in future weeks, but this week's just particularly rough. And then similar to Raj, Michael lost a significant asset at tight end this week. As it appears, Goddard will be out multiple weeks. He He's on IR now. So yeah, he's not going to be there. So fire up the fab this week, boys. It looks like we're going to have multiple shoppers at the tight end spot. Go see what you can find out there. Maybe, maybe you can find a good start, but... I'm going to take a bold claim here and I'm going to I'm going to go with Raj because there are a couple of other things I didn't mention but Terry McLaurin's been really great with Heineke and there are a couple of other areas that I just think I prefer Raj this week but this is the caveat of I need Raj to set his lineup if Raj doesn't set his lineup then obviously I'm taking Michael. Like what do you got? I'm taking Raj too. But my reasoning for taking Raj is a little bit different than yours, so mine comes with a second caveat. Your first caveat, of course, included, and that's probably the biggest risk of all, is Raj does not set his lineup. The reason I'm taking Raj, though, is because Michael's biggest point scorers, Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, are playing in potentially six feet of snow. And this is something I didn't mention when talking about Jordan's matchup versus me. I think this will be a very big game for Devin Singletary. I think there's no way around it. You're not going to be able to throw the football, not even Josh Allen. I don't think Stefan Diggs gets his points this week. I don't think Josh Allen gets his points. I don't think they want to run him with the injured elbow. You know, he almost didn't play last week. It's going to be very poor conditions this week. You're playing not for a win against Cleveland, but you're playing for the playoffs, which the Bills are clearly going to be a part of whether they're the one seed or not is a a discussion that we'll have to have as we get closer to week 18 and that's more real football related than fantasy football related but I just don't see Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs rolling out a monster performance combine that with the lack of certainty at Michael's running back position and I just don't I don't like the matchup for Michael if and this is the second caveat If, for whatever reason, the NFL decides to move the game out of Buffalo, given the current weather situation, my pick would switch to Michael. Now, there has been no discussion of this, at least that I know of. But with six feet of snow, I have to imagine it's going to be hard to get Cleveland into Buffalo. And I know the NFL has moved games before for extenuating circumstances. So if this were to move outside of Buffalo... You know, I don't think it would be played in Cleveland, but maybe it's played in another stadium where, you know, the home team is away or maybe they move it to a college campus or something like that. I would, of course, switch my pick back to Michael because Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs will have a monster game. I think that it is unlikely that they move them. Don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Moving to our last matchup of the week, we have the Chernobyl Janitors, Matthew Beischer against... Risky Business Inc. and Chris Risk. 
Going through the matchups, we'll go through Matt's team first, Chris's team second. The quarterback breakdown, Jimmy Garoppolo for Matt versus Justin Herbert for Chris. Saquon Barkley and Ramondre Stevenson are the running back room against James Conner and DeAndre Swift. The wide receiver matchup is T. Higgins and Garrett Wilson versus Keenan Allen and Brandon Cooks. Tight end, you have Travis Kelsey versus George Kittle. The flex positions, you have Chris Watson and Paris Campbell at the Superflex for Matthew against Darnell Mooney and Justin Fields at the Superflex for Chris, who surprisingly only projected for 19 fantasy points on the week. And then the defensive matchups, you have the Baltimore Ravens against Carolina versus Chris's defense, which is the New England Patriots against the New York Jets. The bench for Matt, he only has Pat Firemuth on his bench that's available to play. He currently has Tua Tagovailoa, Raheem Mostert, the rest of the Dolphins lineup, including Jeff Wilson, on by. He also has Christian Kirk on by. Chris has Kareem Hunt, Jamal Williams, Michael Gallup, Drake London, and the San Francisco 49ers defense on his bench. Interesting rostering two defenses there. Let's see how that strategy works out for him. The strengths for Matt's lineup, I think that the running back position will be good for him. You have Saquon Barkley against Detroit, which is a great matchup. Saquon's been very consistent this year, hasn't gotten injured, which is great, and I think he'll continue to produce for Matt. Ramondre Stevenson against the New York Jets. That Jets defense is surprisingly good. However, it's New England against the Jets, and somehow, some way. New England just seems to own them, whether they have Tom Brady, whether they don't. I'm sure whether they have Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick could leave and the Patriots would still continue to just beat that franchise into dust. Uh, You know, you got to feel bad for Jets fans anytime they play New England. The tight end position is, of course, a strength for Matt with Travis Kelsey. Normally, the wide receiver position is a strength for Matt, but given the Cooper Cup injury, it is looking a little bit more bleak. T. Higgins is my play of the week. Of course, that's in Matt's wide receiver one spot, so good for Matt there. The strengths for Chris's team. Moving over to the weaknesses for Matt's team. You have Jimmy Garoppolo at your quarterback spot. He has a great floor for you. Um, but I don't see any ceiling there. So, of course, that's going to be a weakness. And Garrett Wilson in your wide receiver spot, he has a great ceiling, but he has a horrible floor. So, so you know, hopefully those two balance each other out nicely for Matt and he can come away with something great. Starring Paris Campbell in your super flex spot's a little bit scary. Matt Ryan seems like Paris Campbell, though, so maybe it ends up being better than dropping someone to go pick up a quarterback and putting them in that wide receiver uh, or... Maybe that's better than going and picking up a quarterback and putting them in that super flex spot. However, that's going to be a concern moving forward. Weaknesses for Chris. Yep, you betcha. Justin Herbert has had a tough go of it this season. I wouldn't necessarily consider him to be a weakness, but he is a liability. The running back matchups are horrible for Chris this week. James Conner draws a matchup against San Francisco. DeAndre Swift, who is still barely seeing any touches with five attempts, two attempts, and six attempts in the past week since returning from injury, is playing against the New York Giants. I mean, how can you not start DeAndre Swift, but at the same time, how can you start him? It's really a catch-22 for Chris. He's also starting Keenan Allen and Brandon Cooks, who are both questionable with injuries, so so that's definitely scary. I... uh. 
feel bad for Chris that he kind of has this situation where he's playing a bunch of guys who either have been freshly injured or are currently injured. I guess one strength that I forgot to mention for Chris, he has Justin Fields. Starting Justin Fields is very exciting. Um, Justin Fields only projected for 19 points. I expect Justin Fields to put up at least 20 plus points. Um, I would say 30 points is probably about where you can expect him to be if they continue to play him the way that Justin Fields has been playing in the past three weeks, I guess past month at this point. So other than that, I mean, I'd have to go with Matt for this matchup. I just, there's so many questions I have about Chris's team. Of course, Chris's team can blow up and they could end up having an awesome week. They could just, you know, prove me wrong. There's the potential with DeAndre Swift, with James Conner, with all of these guys to blow up and have a big week, but I'm not, I'm not banking on it. And so I'd rather take more of the the guaranteed production on Matt's team than the volatility of Chris's team. RJ, who do you have? I am also going to go with the Chernobyl janitors in this one. It's actually really tempting to go with Chris's team, just with the upside he's got with Herbert over Garoppolo and looking, you know, obviously at Justin Fields with his, his recent spread of weeks, like the dude can literally put up 40 points against Atlanta this week. And I wouldn't be shocked. He could put up 50 and I wouldn't be shocked. But the things that really just give me more pause and leniency to Matt is Saquon against Detroit. Like, he could put up 40 points against Detroit. That wouldn't shock me. And Ramondre Stevenson against the Jets. A similar story. Like, I just have a lot more confidence in those two guys over Connor and Swift, who I think if you are looking just purely at their projected points, those are inflated. I don't really think either one of those guys are going to hit those marks. Combine that with T. Higgins having a great matchup. Garrett Wilson really catching fire as of late, obviously Travis Kelsey. There's just a lot of guys on Matt's side that I really think could put up good points this week. So I'm also going to roll with that one. It should be a good one. I I really do think that Fields has been a life giver for Chris. So you never know, but I'll take the gamble. But that will do it with our week 11 predictions. We really appreciate y'all's patience as we've uh, taken a couple weeks off here, but we are back at it. And as always, we really appreciate you taking the time to listen and good luck with your matchups this week.